it, it really is a pleasure to be able to share with you um, on this beautiful, warm Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Jason's out of the country visiting Israel, and I do hope that he comes back with lots of sermon material. I've been inspired just watching his Instagram. So he's walking where Jesus walked, um, which is a, a phenomenal experience. And so I, I do hope that it recharges him. Since the weekend after Easter, we've been walking through topic by topic discussions in our treasure series. And I, I don't know, um, despite the fact that I'm an elder and we talk about this stuff with Jason, um, sometimes I walk in on Sundays and um, I start listening to the sermon and I realize I wasn't really paying attention last week. I don't know what the series is. I'm sure there's a grander plan. It's all good stuff, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. So I thought I'd recap a little bit because there is a trend of what we're talking about. Uh, this, this idea of amazing grace. There's a, there are treasures that come from Christ as we look at this amazing grace piece. Jason started at the end of April talking about how we're forgiven. And there's something that comes from a life that understands forgiveness. Christopher Vengala shared with us what a gift it is to be accepted by the creator of all things, that treasure. We discussed the treasure of God's presence and looked at his people both um, in the Old Testament and in the early church, how his presence was what marked his people, not prosperity or anything else. We, we looked literally how they came and laid their prosperity down because they were a people to be marked by God's presence. And then last week, because of Jesus, God's power is available to us. We are empowered and we prayed that we might have the power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the full with, with all the fullness of Christ. These gifts, these treasures. This week, quite uh, befittingly and, and honestly, I believe it's somewhat unintentional, uh, we'll be looking at the treasure of freedom we receive from, from the work of Jesus on the cross. It's Memorial Day tomorrow, and so freedom uh, is something we hear a lot about this weekend. Memorial Day is a day when we celebrate and remember those who served and died in our country and gave their lives to ensure our freedom. And so as Americans, from the beginning of this country, this idea of freedom runs deep. From the American Revolution, we gained our freedom from England. The Civil War cemented that all men, regardless of race, could be free. Therefore, every war since then has had some level of freedom, either ours or others, as a key piece of it. And so we think a lot about freedom and what it means. We respect and we honor those who gave their lives to give us that freedom. And so today we're talking about Jesus and how his death on the cross brings us another level of freedom. But because... Um, freedom is wrapped up in our nationality, our upbringing. I, I'd like to encourage you just to set that aside for a moment. And, and um, when I was prepping for this sermon, I thought, I, I don't know where to go with this. Freedom means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, and so I thought, I'm just going to look at the scripture and walk through what, what, what I need to hear. And so there, we're going to jump into a scripture today and teach through freedom. But I want you to know that this comes from primarily me looking at, Lord, what does it mean for me to be really free under you? And so um, a little bit selfish maybe, but um, I was interested in God teach me this. And so we're going to look through this in scripture because that's what we do. Uh, you know, that's why we're here is to look at what freedom means. 
But before I do that, take a moment and think to yourself, what is freedom? When I say, what is freedom, what would you respond with? How would you define that? You got it? Hang on to that just for a minute. I bet we're all thinking something different. I wanna show you a video uh, of what is freedom from around the world, just to give you perspective that we don't really have a common definition. Freedom uh, is different things to different people. What do you think freedom is? Freedom. I don't know. What was the touching policy? La libertà per me è sottrarsi alle aspettative degli altri. So that as a man, the British service, the British Freedom uh, is the power to create your own existence in this world. Being happy in your own skin can be extremely liberating. Volare, nuotare. Not working, going to the beach. Think about that. Freedom. What is freedom? Cool advertisement. But the point is, everybody thinks something very different uh, when we say freedom. And so I don't know what you thought of uh, when you said what is, when, when I said what is freedom and you thought that in your head. But I, I show that to, to share that likely everybody in this room is thinking something very different. And I want to acknowledge, I think we all know that Christ, you know, when Christ died, he came to give us freedom. But Freedom from what? And not only freedom from what, but freedom to do what? Freedom, you know, the guy said, run through the streets naked. Is that freedom? Actually, uh, David uh, danced through the streets, took off his clothes and danced through the streets. He experienced that level of freedom in the Old Testament. Great story. We'll talk about that later. Um, Today we will look, today our goal is to look at Christ, look at the scripture and see what that freedom is that he brings. And so my ask to you is to spend whatever you believe about freedom just for a moment so that we can walk through the scripture and see what that is. And to be honest, the freedom that we want might be a different definition of the freedom that Christ gives. But keep in mind, this is God's gift. 
God who created all of us. And so we're talking about the treasures of amazing grace. It's important to say, God, what have you given? What, what is the gift of freedom that you have given? Yes, it means slightly different things to us, but there's some very clear things that God has freed us from and that he wants to provide to us through that gift. It's his gift. So uh, let's open our minds so we can truly focus on the gift he has given. Freedom. But throughout this morning, I'll ask you this one question a couple of different times. Do you believe? And so there's a couple of levels to that. One is, do you believe Jesus, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? That's the kind of the core piece of our faith. If so, there are promises in scripture that speak to the freedom we have been given as a result of placing our faith, our belief, and our trust in him. In America, the forming of our country was sparked for the desire, by this desire of freedom. Our country was almost ripped apart by a desire for freedom. And tomorrow we celebrate many men and women who have given their lives in the efforts of freedom. But again, my ask for you for the next few minutes is to put all that aside and let's look to scripture to understand the freedom that Jesus brings. We'll come back to other things, but let's approach the word new. Go back to when you first accepted Christ, if you have, and think with a new mind. Let's look and see what is this freedom that I've been given. So let's start with structure. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, white collar professional guy. I do lots of presentations. PowerPoint presentations, and so there's always an outline. So I'm gonna walk you through my outline of where we're going today. The first step is, do you believe in Jesus? If so, you've been given freedom. And then we'll talk a little bit about this truth, and I'll propose to you that without Jesus, there is no true freedom. And again, it goes back to what do we believe? He gives us freedom from sin. He gives us freedom from the duty of religions. Those are points uh, three and four. And then we'll see that it is only by walking by the Spirit that we can experience true freedom. And at the end, I'll ask you again, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he frees us? If so, there's a lot that we can hold on to from that. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I just pray that you open our hearts, you open our minds, and that you will strip away the, the meanings of words um, that we may be feeling today around freedom. Uh, Father, most of all, I ask that you'll reach deep into our hearts and root away things that we hold on to um, when it comes around freedom, because Lord, you are our creator and you know what it means for us to be free. So I pray that you will open our hearts and open our minds to that today. And may, may you speak uh, to the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our anchor passage is John 8, 31 through 36. If you have your Bibles or digital devices, you can turn with me to John 8. We'll spend a little bit of time there. Um, before we get into the core of the freedom piece in John 8, 31, I, I wanna just give you some background. John 8 starts with um, a story around a woman uh, who was uh, brought to Jesus by the Pharisees in an attempt to trap him. Um, they bring him a woman who's committed adultery and say that, the law says she should be stoned. And so he sits down, draws in the sand a little bit, and then says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Many times when we hear about the story, we stop because it's really powerful, right? Christ is, is giving grace. He's also um, not downing um, this 
that there is punishment for sins, but he's, he's showing grace. But if we take the next step, if we go right beyond this, it's even more powerful. He doesn't end there. There must have been a big crowd at this point. Um, and why shouldn't there be? Because, you know, it's a big deal. And, and apparently stoning was a big deal. Um, Jesus takes the opportunity to this big crowd to drive this point home. It's not enough that Jesus won the argument like, ah, good one, Jesus. Look at all those Pharisees. They're walking off. Nice job. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to win arguments, although he did. Jesus didn't necessarily come just to physically heal people, though he did. He was God's plan from the beginning. And so he moves forward right after this to underline his authority that it was very, so it was very clear to all who he was and why he could say this to the Pharisees. Because winning an argument wasn't it. This is Jesus, the son of God. The people had seen him put this religi- these religious leaders in their place, and now he makes clear why he can. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Bam, there it is. Thus begins a back and forth with uh, the Pharisees and the people. These are radical claims. If somebody walks up to you on the street and says, Joel, I am the light of the world, you would look at them odd too. And so the people are challenging him. He's making bold claims at this perspective. We have the benefit of knowing who Jesus is and knowing a little bit about him before we even start to read John. But Jesus in John 8 is tying together all of his miracles, his teachings of incredible wisdom that he's done in the first part of his ministry, his proof that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from the moment God looked at Abraham and said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's tying it all together and then he's coming at them directly to say, I am the light of the world. We hear this a lot, but this is a culmination point in Jesus's ministry where he's done these miracles and he's tying these things all together. They, they start arguing with him because they're unwilling to believe. So he goes further, challenging all that are there. John eight twenty three, You are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. Let me turn the page. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And that's it. He's built up for miracles, saying, I am the light of the world, to saying that unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And in doing so, he uses the word I am. And if you're familiar with this, this is how God identified himself to his people hundreds of years ago. He has said, I am God. Unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. This is the gospel. This is the turning point in Jesus's ministry as he's talking to these crowds. Many of us know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the foundation of the gospel. But keep in mind, Jesus said this to Nicodemus. So we read about it, but this was Jesus and Nicodemus at that time. In John 8, he is speaking to a crowd of people that have gathered. And so he's taking that same truth that we hear in John 3, 16, and he's saying it to all that were gathered there. Jesus is making the point that he is the culmination of God's plan. It's a big deal. And so how did they respond? Let's look at verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. When you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am. I do nothing but on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me. 
And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say those things believed in him. So this is the gospel. Jesus says, I am here to save you from your sins. I am God. He's presented the gospel, the whole reason he's here to these people, and many believed in him. It's the context of the passage. So when we talk about freedom, we're not just jumping into this, say, yay, Jesus loves freedom. He does. He made us to be free. Don't get me wrong. But the context in which we're talking about freedom is in the context of Christ being sent from the beginning as the culmination of God's plans, saving us from our sins. And so as we jump into John 31, we will see that he, he has just said he is God's son, he used God's name, I am, to describe himself and said that only believing that he is who he claims to be can we be saved from dying in our sins. Uh, let's pray one more time. Father God, um, sink deep in us, your people, that this context of freedom comes out of understanding that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the culmination of the plan, he is one with you, uh, and that he has come to be the light of the world. May we hear what freedom means in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are here today and you believe in Jesus, you have placed your faith in Jesus, please place your mind in that place of active belief right after you heard. And if, if you're not here and you're not in a place of belief, that's okay. But hear the words that we're gonna walk through is something Jesus says to those who believe. This is Jesus's encouragement to all who believe in him. Our anchor text for today is John 8, 31 through 36. So let's read it. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? It's a valid question. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. How, how much is this like us? How much is this like me? Keep in mind, you know, Jesus is saying this to people who believed in him, to those who believed in him. He said these things. How much like us to say, okay, I get it. I believe you were sent to save us from our sins. You are the son of God, great. But when you start talking about me being free, no, 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 I, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't a slave. I'm a son of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. We're free. And here's the first point I'll submit to you on freedom. So if you are taking notes, this is one I want you to remember. The creator who designed us perfectly looks at our sin and says, you are enslaved by this sin, this mess. You are not acting as I created you. You are not free as I intended. So we must make a mindset shift here. I'll propose that freedom is not just doing whatever we want. I submit to you that freedom is not doing whatever makes us feel good at that particular moment on a whim. Freedom is being fully who we were created to be by the creator. And so that's why Jesus looks at these people who believe they're not enslaved because they're sons of Abraham and says, you are, in, you are a slave to your sin. But if you believe in me, you are free. 
And that's the first point for us today. We are enslaved by our sin. And regardless of whether we know that or not, regardless of whether we think we need freedom, we do. And that freedom is not just doing whatever we want. That freedom is living as we were made to be. Sin enslaves us. From our birth, we have been corrupted and enslaved by sin that keeps us from being who we were designed to be. And I think at one level, we can all, at at, at one level, identify with the enslaving effects of sin. Do you know or have you known someone who's trapped, enslaved by sin? By doing things that they don't wanna do. By addiction, by, by the death that comes from that. This idea of being unable to escape from something we don't want is not new. Let's look at Paul in Romans 7. Romans 7, 14. And and so again, this is the apostle Paul, the one who took the church to the world beyond Jerusalem. So the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I wanna do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I'm doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't wanna do, I am not, the really, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's life with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, says the Apostle Paul. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really wanna obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that'd be a great place to end. Uh, That is the joy of the gospel. That is the joy of freedom. That is what we experience. Uh, I'm not gonna end though. Our response to this enslavement of sin can be to turn to Jesus. It's the treasure we're given, freedom from the desires that live within us. James says that when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Have you seen that in your own life? You've seen that in the lives of others. This is the end to which we were enslaved, but God sent his only son, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died to take the punishment for our sins, so we are no longer enslaved to those sinful desires or death anymore. Brian mentioned we got, uh, McKinney and I met here and we got married here and we got four wonderful boys. Um, in fact, if there's a kid running around and you're like, ah, whose kid is that? It's probably ours. Um, they got a lot of energy, uh, eight, six, four, and two, um, and we are blessed. But at e- each one of them, I- I've seen a point where I go, why did you do that? And they look at me, and they're almost crying, sometimes they are, and they say, I don't know. And I experienced that in my own life. Why did you hit your brother? I don't know. I know I shouldn't, but I did. It is that sin that lives within us that propels us to do that. And the gift of freedom that we give, first and foremost, that we receive from Christ, first and foremost, is freedom from sin. We are not controlled by that anymore. 
I do wanna, I do wanna talk a little bit about, um, and, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't because I'm off script a little bit, um, but I do wanna talk a little bit. Uh, Katie and I went to the funeral of a friend's mother uh, last weekend and we're just blown away by this example of freedom. Um, and and um, some of the people that were there actually acknowledged that, that there had been, and they didn't talk much about it, but that there had been struggles in her life, but she knew Jesus and they were rejoicing in the fact that she was fully free. It was unexpected. And so there was a lot of grieving and a lot of surprise, but they, there was a comfort in the fact that the work of God had been completed. That while this warring between the sinful nature and the freedom of Christ they had seen and walked with her on this earth, they knew that she was truly free. Um, and it, it was a comfort to, to all who were there. I also wanna talk a little bit about addiction. Uh, behavioral health's become a big thing in our environment. And I do wanna say, I don't want you to walk out of here and hear if I pray enough, if I read my Bible enough, I'm gonna be freed from addiction, from the things that are in my my. Uh, my head from the things that I really need help with. One of the things that um, I work at Mission Health, uh, and one of the things that I see a lot is um, the sophistication that goes into behavioral health issues and addiction, and it really is sickness. And so one of the ways that God may choose us to free, choose to free us from those things is the programs and the physicians and the people around us. So don't walk out of here hearing, because Christ has set me free, I can do it all myself. Rather, in fact, because Christ has set us free, he will free us. We have a sinful nature in us and that free, freedom is complete at the end of time. But there is a point where he is also calling us to walk alongside the church. That's why we meet here, is to walk together in the spirit. He's also calling us to accept um, the, health of, um, or the help of physicians that are there. Just like I would not cut off my hand and say, God, heal me. He could, but he might choose instead to allow those doctors to heal me. Addiction and other behavioral health issues are there. Um, we have, God has provided us in this country with a lot of opportunity there. But we see in those issues, sin has provided, um, sin is, is manifesting itself and we battle against that. That leads us back to, even on a small level, if I say to my son, we are free from sin, if we believe this gospel, the answer isn't Jesus Christ our Lord, will we sin again? This tension, warring is between the spirit and these sinful desires. Before we go and talk a little bit more about that tension and what it means to uh, walk in continual freedom from sin, I'm gonna take a little detour here because I wanna show you how others have taken freedom from sin and turned it in a different direction. Our second anchor passage is Galatians 5, and we'll spend most of the rest of our time there. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there. A few months ago, Sue talked about the F word that we don't like to say in church, fellowship. Um, because, and, and maybe we don't like to say that because it has some traditional trappings uh, in some of our minds. But there's another word we don't like to say in church even more. And this one is used in the Bible almost as much as fellowship. Only 17% fewer occurrences of this word in the Bible, in fact, than fellowship. What is this word? Circumcision. And if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. But for our conversation, it's not really important, uh, the details. 
circumcision was a physical way that God's people set them apart from the time of Abraham. From the time of Abraham, all Israelite males were circumcised at birth. And this one thing made them different than anybody else because nobody else did that. It was the mark of God's people from their birth. And so when Jesus comes, there's a group of people in the Galatian church that are saying new believers need to do this. Circumcision has always been a mark of God's people. Therefore, with Jesus, we are now God's people. Therefore, you should be circumcised. Any age, Gentiles. If you're gonna be part of the Galatian church, you should be circumcised. I can kind of see the logic. So let's see what Paul says about this. Galatians 5, one through six. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and, I don't, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit from you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive faith by the righteousness God has provided to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing himself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. So he's not a big fan. The mark of a Christ follower is not a religious ritual. It is faith expressing itself in love. So if we have been freed from sin, if we had this freedom in Christ, would we then choose to go into doing things to make us free? Paul feels very strongly about this. In fact, so strongly, he even says a few verses later that those who preach circumcision, I wish they would just emasculate themselves. He feels strongly about this idea of people coming in and shoving religious ritual on Christ followers who have been freed. Pretty strong. They don't say that a lot in Sunday school. But here's the point. If you believe in Christ, you've been given a gift of freedom. And if you're taking notes, here's a second key point I want you to remember. Jesus Christ died that we might be free. We must not squander that freedom and enslave ourselves in religious practices or anything in this world. Maybe it's not religious. Maybe it's just doing things to make us feel like a good person. God doesn't care about that. He sent his son to die on the cross that we might be free. Therefore, why should we go do good things that we might be free? If we're trying to go earn our freedom, Christ is looking and saying, I sent my son to die for you. Put your faith in that. Don't put your faith in circumcision. Are you coming to church? Are you giving? Are you taking communion on Sunday? Are you serving on Sunday? Are you teaching with Elevate? Are you taking the gospel to another country in a way that is not faith expressing itself with love? Are you doing those things so that you might maybe be free from sin? Maybe if I read my Bible more, if I come to church more, if I give more, maybe, maybe just maybe I'll be free. It's, it's easy to fall into this habit, right? It's easy to walk through that door every Sunday and fall into this habit. But this is the reason for the church is that we might move towards faith and love, not just get into these religious rituals and routines. I would ask, I would propose that as Christ followers, we must examine our souls and everything that we do and ask God that his spirit might within us spark faith and love. And that's hard sometimes. Sometimes um, maybe we're not there. 
Maybe we're just walking through the motions, but his spirit lives inside of us and he can do that, so we ask him to. If Jason or Becca or Nate or I do any of this out of anything other than faith and love, anything you see up here, why are we even doing it? Have we voluntarily enslaved ourselves to a bunch of actions? Though we are free. So let's talk about faith and love. All of the things that I mentioned are actually good things. Giving, communion, teaching, taking the gospel to another country. Let's read on in Galatians. Galatians 3, 15 through 13. For if you've been called to live in freedom, my brother, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring each other, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So we've talked about not being enslaved to religious practice, the law, and here Paul reminds us not to enslave ourselves again to this sinful nature. Enter the tension I mentioned briefly earlier. He'll hit that head on in these next verses, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against one another, so we are not free to carry out our good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Look at that last one here. When we place our faith in Jesus, God sends his spirit to live inside of us and it is directly opposed to the sinful nature. But our sinful nature is not fully removed until death, we have new bodies with Jesus Christ. When we are raised with new life in Jesus, we will only have the spirit, not the sinful nature. That is the promise we look forward to. But until then, we have tension and we have a choice we can walk in. Let me also point out, very important, verse 18, that we're not enslaving ourselves to religious practice, the law, when we walk by the Spirit. It is from the inside out, acting under the freedom in which we were created. All of those things I mentioned, going to church, mission serving, we've been free to do those things, walking in step by the Spirit. In fact, as we walk in step with the Spirit, we live as God intended. And, and back to how, what I mentioned earlier, God created us, and if our definition of freedom is living as he fully intended, walking by the Spirit allows us to be free. His Spirit moves us and we express faith and love and we serve because it's what we were created for. Not because we have to, not because serving helps us gain a freedom from yesterday's sin, but it's what we were created to do. How do we know if we are walking in the Spirit? Paul tells us, and this is one that we likely have heard in Sunday school. The fruits of the Spirit, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, the sinful nature are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and diversions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this thing has rolled around over and over in my head, is this keep in step with the Spirit as a method of freedom. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. 
So this is how we experience true freedom, living as God fully intended. We walk in the spirit, so keep in step with the spirit. It's this faith and love. And, um, you know, it's not just, um, you know, praying and all of a sudden these fruits pop out, right? Um, I used to work in a magic shop uh, in high school. I don't know if you've ever seen the magician or the clown where, you know, they pull something out of their mouth and it keeps going and going and going and there's a big wad of colors on the floor. I think sometimes we think that that's how the spirit is, right? We're just standing there and all of a sudden it just pops out. Now, let me, let me not minimize the work of the spirit in our hearts. Prayer allow, you know, immersing ourselves in prayer allows us to walk in, allows us to immerse ourselves in the spirit. But there's a, this is an action. This is how we measure. Keep in step with the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Then you will see these fruits in your lives. We see from the earliest moments in the church that his people walking by the spirit serve one another and love each other well. And this walking by the Spirit, this action of keeping in step with the Spirit, is how we counter the sinful nature and how we counter our tendency to enslave ourselves back into our sins or back into religious practices. We walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We are living free, not re-enslaving ourselves. I, I, I think, you know, Becca had the, the, the um, string up there, and I think of this picture that we, we have been freed from sin. We've been freed to live as God desires. And if we are not walking in step with the Spirit, if we are not looking at the Spirit to keep in step with Him, we are regularly reaching for things that will enslave us. We are looking to tie ourselves up. And again, we are free in Christ. Um, you cannot be both simultaneously free and enslaved but we do pick up the ropes and the chains either through religion or sin and continue to try to walk here if we are not walking in step with the Spirit. <clears throat> we look at this list, sorcery, fits of envy, drunkenness, and we say, sure, no problem. Easy, right? We just won't do that bad stuff. But the enemy is tricky. You may be charged to walk out of here and walk in this newly discovered freedom. But what will you do with this freedom? Perhaps one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy today is that we will truly be free if our every personal desire is met. I feel it deeply within myself. I see it in my sons as they argue over little things. I look and I see it in culture. This idea that my personal desire must be met. And actually, if you look at that list, sensuality was one of them. A preoccupation with desires and appetites. And these can be subtle. They can focus us on ourselves just as much as they can be big. And I say big, meaning obvious destruction, those things that we typically think about bad things. But they can be subtle. You may say, there's nothing wrong with X, golfing. There's nothing wrong with my leisure time. Just because I enjoy, insert favorite hobby that perhaps your spouse, parents, friends give you a hard time about, does not mean it's wrong. Sure, and you're, you're right. Despite the fact that uh, so much of the U.S. is an active social media user, uh, there are some that would like me to stand up here and say, Facebook is wrong. Sometimes I'd like to say that. But I, I really don't see that in Scripture. 
But it does feel good, right? I mean, we're looking through this, this idea of being liked, this idea of being loved, this idea of liking other things. There's a social media element to it. But here's how something that's not inherently sin can trap us. When the spirit calls, the living God inside of you says, I created you this way. Go visit your neighbor, encourage a friend, serve your family, be a part of a body of Christ, aka live like we were created. And we still sit back and say, no, I, Netflix, awesome show on, Facebook, turn on the PS4, or if you still have cable, you know, watch TV, whatever that is. Because it's what feels good at the time, we are rejecting what we've been created for, allowing us to be trapped by our own desires for what we believe will fill us at that time. And listen, I, I got four young boys and I feel perpetually worn out some days. I love them. But there are times when we you know, are tired and an afternoon on the couch seems great, restful, recharging. I just need to take care of me time. And uh, we, we praise social media, uh, people who are doing that on social media a lot. But if the creator calls you to something, calls me to something that I was perfectly designed for, will that not provide more satisfaction, more life, more energy sitting on the couch? If God's calling me to play on the floor with my kids, I'm too tired, long day at work, I just wanna veg. Which thing is going to provide me more life? Following his spirit, investing in my children. Um, and, and I don't wanna to get too far down the rabbit hole. It's too easy to become legalistic and say, ah, I must do all of these things. But again, that's the tension, right? We wanna dial it in. We want a list of things to do. All right, how did I love today? Was I joyful? How was I peaceful? Keep in step with the spirit. Do what you were created for. Gratify the spirit rather than gratifying our own personal desires at the time. <clears throat> Band, you can come on up. Do you believe? Do you believe that walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit is freedom? I think we believe that. We believe that as Highland. In fact, uh, Brian mentioned June 30th. Um, and I kind of forgot about it until he mentioned it. Um, but June 30th is when we're gonna start talking about as a church, what does it look like to walk in the spirit together? We've been uh, a church together in, in, in different places and different locations since 2005. What does it mean to walk in the spirit together? And if your idea of coming to church is, ah, the church is that thing that gives me those actions that I do to be religious, I don't think anybody thinks that way, but if maybe subtly that's what you're thinking, um, we're gonna, we're, this is the intention of June 30th, that we might come together as a body of believers and determine how we walk in the spirit together because it is together that we're able to, do, to, to walk in the spirit. When we looked at, uh, when we see the early church, they did it together. And let me just say, it, it's, you know, our hearts are fickle. It's fairly easy at the end of May in Asheville, despite it being a little hot, um, to take two steps outside and being slammed in the face with this beauty and perfection of God's creation. Yes, look at how, what God has done outdoors in Asheville. It is beautiful. He has done that in my life. Yay, spring. Yay, Jesus. But let's be real. Six months from now, when it's raining and the trees are bare, you better believe that there are times when I want nothing more than to invest all of my time, 
a full eight hours on the couch uh, during football season, Sunday afternoon, or into determining, is the SEC really that good? But that's not how I was created. Nothing wrong with football, um, but some of you know what I'm talking about. It's from this mindset that Paul says, everything is permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. If you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, you may have heard this before. And in fact, a lot of times we use this as, ah, I can do whatever I want, right? He says it twice in 1 Corinthians, but look what is next. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do everything, I must not become a slave to anything. I must not become a slave to anything. The, the, a third, another note, if you're taking notes, the great deception that I believe we experience today is that in the very expression of our freedom, we go back to enslaving ourselves. I feel it every day, this desire to do what I want and express my freedom, and I turn around and I'm... I'm I'm very close to enslaving myself in sin, in gratifying my desires, rather than walking in step with the Spirit. But God, right? That's the gospel, but God. God is known as the rescuer. We talked about John 8, 36. So if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And wherever you are on this freedom thing, remember that today. This is the truth. If you believe in Jesus, the Son has set you free. You are free indeed. Amen. And then second to that, Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. This is how we move in freedom. This is what we've been created for. There is freedom in Christ. And again, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're not feeling that freedom. Maybe you are enslaved. Maybe you're thinking, grieving, of somebody who, who is a slave to their sin. So pray. We must pray. God is the rescuer. It is what he has done. This whole story is about God rescuing us. There is nothing he loves to do more than to rescue his people, his sons and daughters from the slavery of sin. He wants to make us free that we might live as he created us. So do you believe? We're gonna enter into a time of communion in just a moment. If you are a Christ follower, I would invite you to participate in communion. We take the bread, which represents Christ's body, it was broken on the cross, and we take the blood and we remember that he died that we might live free. We might live as he created. We might live as he made us truly. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. Um, we invite you to just observe because this is one of those acts of belief. This is not a religious ritual. Prepare your heart. This is how we believe. This is how we walk in the spirit. We remember what Christ has done. We don't do this because it makes us more free. We do this because we are free. And remembering that we are free every week after week, remembering that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, his blood was shed for us, is what helps us walk free. It's what helps us keep in step with the spirit. So as we close, what is the picture of freedom you see? 
Is it different? Is it the same or what you thought of at the beginning? Do you believe the scripture that we've walked through? Do you believe what has been said? It's not new, but in the midst of our culture and how we can ever redefine freedom, uh, it's easy to forget. But it hasn't changed. We saw it in scripture. And people have been talking about this for hundreds of years, though we tend to forget. It is our culture that changes. It is our, um, our country that changes, whatever. Martin Luther wrote in 1520 these words. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. The gift of freedom is living how we were created. It's a beautiful picture if we're willing to let go of what we think of freedom and embrace it. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will continue to speak to our hearts today. Uh, as we consider freedom, as we go into a day tomorrow where we as a country celebrate freedom, I pray that you'll continue to work uh, what you have done on the cross and your freedom to, in, in our hearts. Father, if there's been any uh, words spoken that I've spoken that, that don't line up with what you uh, want, if there's been anything that that is moving into people's hearts today, that is, is twisting this definition of freedom, I pray that you'll strip all of it away and make it forgotten. But Father, uh, may we remember during this time of communion what Jesus did on the cross. May we remember how we are free. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So right now, I invite you to take communion. If you wanna talk more about freedom, if you haven't experienced that, I'm also available and would love to speak with you.